0: Good morning New Life Lincoln Park. This is Bobby. As you can see, I am definitely not in warmer climates anymore. We are back home in the ice and snow of Chicago and also in quarantine. Uh, We're going to be having to stay home just for the next few days, but as long as my COVID test from this weekend comes back negative and everything else works out, I will be there next Sunday and I'm definitely looking forward to it. I want to say thanks to Jeff Anderson for preaching last Sunday for bringing such an encouraging word to our church And I also wanna say how excited I am to introduce my good friend, Don Kaufman, who's gonna be preaching this Sunday. Jeff is also my good friend, let me just clarify that. Uh, But Don is the pastor at New Life Oak Lawn. Um, Jeanette and I consider Don and his wife Ray just great friends and they are always just such a huge encouragement to us and a lot of fun. Uh, As much of an encouragement as that he constantly is to me, I know he's gonna be an encouragement to you this morning as well. And I'm really excited that you get to hear him preach. And so welcome Don Kaufman. And I look forward to seeing all of you next Sunday.
1: I'm Don Kaufman. How's everybody doing? Good. Good to be with you guys. Uh, I've, uh, uh, this was actually one of the first New Life locations I visited. I grew up, my wife and I grew up in uh, Springfield, Illinois, downstate. And we moved up here in 2012 to try to figure out where we were going to go and what we were going to do. And... um, And and yeah, right away, Bobby and Jeanette were a couple for us that we connected with really well. They're super fun and uh, like to heckle with both of them. And I like that they both feed it back about as strong as I can give it. Uh, And so just have enjoyed their uh, friendship, but really excited to be here with you guys. Uh, Excited uh, to uh, be able to especially dive into this section of scripture uh, in in the book of Philippians. The book of Philippians for me has constantly been one uh, where I have found that When I've been in some of my deepest struggles or doubts or fears, uh, when I've been battling with some of the uh, rough moments of life, I feel like Philippians has been one to me that's come across almost like uh, what I would equate to like when I was in high school, like a football coach, where it kicks me where I need to, it it shapes me where I need to be, reminds me of what I'm maybe not doing well, and, and also shows me how I could be doing it better. And I love that it's all through the voice of encouragement. Uh, that Paul, out of a place of a loving uh, relationship for the people who he cares for, is writing to remind them uh, of, of what their life is geared towards and where they're going to. And that's why we've really called this series Becoming, uh, because Paul's reminding them of who God is still uh, becoming in them, what they're being made to do. Uh, And I love the title and the flow even because Jesus, when he called his first disciple, says, come follow me and I will make you. Uh, There's a process that we're going through to become something and to move in a direction uh, which in its greatest encouragement means God's not done with you yet. Uh, And maybe in some of the most unsettling areas when you don't want God to mess with stuff, he's reminding you you're not done there yet either. There's still work that needs to be done. There's still a direction we're going. And so this morning, before we jump into this last half of uh, Philippians chapter 2, I want you to think about this with me. Think of moments of realizing that all of this is just much bigger than you could have ever imagined. Uh, Moments where you've been in places where you've been wrapped up into the idea, or you've been in experience, or you've been thrown into something, where you realize it's just a lot bigger than what you are. I remember my first trip to the ocean in the early 90s in Miami, Florida. Uh, it sounds way cool, I was a little guy, but uh, I remember uh, having that moment and every moment since there 's something about being at the ocean when you look out and you realize i 'm not as big as what I thought I was that this thing could take me really easy and I grew up in springfield i don 't know how to handle the ocean right uh, and so some of those realizations of how big this is when I was in high school, I got to go with my grandpa uh, and, and a couple other people to uh, Germany, Austria, and Switzerland. I remember standing at the top of a mountain in Switzerland and realizing how tall the world could be. Remember, I grew up in cornfields, all right? And and realizing, man, the valleys and the mountains, and and having that moment of realization of this is so much bigger than what I am, and and, uh, it gives a perspective, right? That's why those moments are important. Uh, In in a way different sense, on that same trip, we got to go to, right outside of Munich, Germany, uh, to Dachau concentration camp and i remember sitting in the barracks and sitting in the uh, crematorium and realizing how much evil is actually possible when you're standing physically in the space where uh, to this date where we could go back and record some of the worst evil that's ever happened being in that spot and realizing how bad it can actually get and then to flip the coin on the other side i remember uh, being in the delivery room we have four boys And I remember being in the living room for all of them and holding them and having that moment of realizing, I don't think I'm ready. I don't think I'm right. I don't think I know what I'm doing. They didn't come out with an owner's manual, uh, so I didn't know how this all worked. And realizing this is all just a whole lot bigger than what I think I'm capable of or it's a lot bigger than what I can handle And as we jump into the book of Philippians, uh, one of the things that this section brought me back and reminded me of is growing up in church thinking that the Christian life was this giant calling uh, that was generally impossible, Uh, that it really was uh, one of the most audacious kind of up there, Uh, that was for the people that were like, you know, the priests and the popes, that was for the Mother Teresas that were out there, and for the ones like in church history that just were the kinds of people that weren't going to get it wrong. Uh, that there were, and in a way, here's what I would say, as I was reading Scripture and grew up reading Scripture in a way to think that that's not actually expected because it's way harder than what we're capable of. And in a sense, I believe that the commands of the Bible weren't reasonable or actually expected. I've loved reading, and I just finished this uh, devotional by a guy named Sky Gitani, who's actually from the Chicagoland area, called What If Jesus Was Serious? And in the introduction to that book, he opens by saying uh, that he was leading a Bible study at his church uh, through the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, 6, and 7. And so the first day of the class, they opened up Matthew. They read 5, 6, and 7 out loud, and everyone just kind of sat there and heard it and received it. And afterwards, asked the question, uh, how many of you think Jesus actually expects us to live out these commands? And in a room of 50-plus people, nobody's hands went up. And shocked, he asked, well, why don't you think this is expected? And the answers were this, because no one could actually live like this. Someone also piped up and said, because it's hard, some even said that it's impossible. Or if we actually live this way, you know, if someone uh, hits you on one cheek, you turn the other cheek, those kind of things. If we actually live that way, people would walk all over us. The way of following Jesus seems too big for us, or sometimes impossible, so we stop trying to live it out once we hit a manageable expectation of, I'll just do this. And in some way, we pick and choose what parts we want to adopt, we pick and choose what parts we want to prescribe to everyone else that we think they should follow, but in the same way, it also begins the disconnect. Where the people who claim to follow Jesus begin to deem the actual life of following him too big or too unobtainable. And we end up creating a church culture that looks very different from the kingdom of God that we represent. And before he dives into the rest of his book, here is a quote from Sky that I thought was really good. He says, what if the underlying malady afflicting Christians today isn't that we take Jesus too serious, but that we fail to take him serious enough? What if much of the culture's judgment of Christians isn't the result of obeying Jesus, but rather the result of Christians ignoring him? And finally concluding, before he jumps in, that if we want the culture to take Jesus more seriously, we should try it first. And I feel like in the book of Philippians, what I read over and over, is Paul reminding the church when it's rough and there's persecution and there's struggle and there's doubts and there's fears, Take Jesus serious first. You should take him serious in your own life. The things and struggles and stuff that you've got going on to take him serious. Because when you take him serious, you start becoming who he's called you to be. And so far in his letter in Philippians, uh, we've read things like this. That he's encouraged them and laid a good summary for the letter in chapter 1 verse 16 when he said this. Being confident of this, reminding the church That he, God, who began a good work in you, will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. That God started something in you, and he's not done with it yet. Because you're constantly, continually becoming that person he's called us to be. So he moves us in that direction. Uh, And then he goes on, and he prays for these believers at this church in verses 9, where he says this, And this is my prayer. That your love would abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight, so that you would be able to discern what is best and would be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Christ Jesus to the glory and praise to God. How crazy, his prayer for them is is that out of love that they would get to know who Jesus is more and more. And even in the midst of their persecution and his imprisonment, God is still moving and the gospel continues to advance despite their circumstances. That it doesn't matter if they woke up having a bad day or not. It doesn't matter if the police are knocking on their door because they're believers and they can't be, so persecution, it doesn't matter what's going on. What matters is God's not stopped moving. And so uh, you can expect that God is still bringing more to come. In verse 27, he says this, whatever happens... Whatever happens, it takes you kind of those final scenes of the movie where the mom or dad has to leave the kids to go do some perilous journey, right? Whatever happens, and it's the final words. He says this, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel. No matter what shakes down, no matter how bad it gets, no matter how scared you are, no matter how sad you become, no matter how fearful you get, conduct yourselves. Live your life, uh, stand on a platform and a foundation that's worthy of the gospel. In a way, I guess in a way that I would translate this, is the bar isn't set with comparing us to a human standard or a human comparison. It doesn't mean you've got to be better than someone across the aisle or behind or in front of you. What he says is your life is lived to the measure of Jesus. That it's not about human comparison and who you are and how far further you are. Well, okay, I'm sure you know, I drop some words that I shouldn't say every now and then, but this guy has a way worse mouth and I see him at church every week. No, 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 the measure is Jesus. Conduct yourself in a manner worthy of the gospel. Paul then goes on to flush out what it looks like to alleviate any confusion. It was in Jesus' humility and servanthood And obedience and worship, that's how he conducted his life. At least that's where Jeff led us last week in the first part of Philippians 2. And so this week as we dive in, today's passage, I feel like as Paul, as I was reading this, it it sounded like, right, if you were to put it to a movie, which I like to do, it sounded like Paul to the church in Philippi was kind of like that Mickey to Rocky It was kind of just in the corner, uh, hyping you up a little bit, letting you know uh, in the middle of the fight that it's coming. Or Yoda uh, uh, speaking into a young Luke, reminding him that you've got all the stuff, it's just not fully matured where it needs to be yet. Or like a Sam DeFrodo that's at the top of the mountain, encouraging him and pushing him to keep going because your mission's ahead of you. And when we jump into this section of Philippians, that's the heart that Paul's giving from a prison cell where he's been locked up because he can't stop talking about Jesus. He's reminding a church that's free but persecuted, don't stop talking and living like Jesus. Don't give up because it's hard. Don't complain because it's difficult. And don't stop short just because you're tired. Who God has called you to be is worth the journey of becoming like Christ that you're on. So keep going. So as we jump into uh, Philippians chapter two, uh, we're going to start in verse 12. But the first point I want us to look at is this, is the idea of keep mining out your calling. Coal mining, gold mining, that kind of language. Keep getting in there. Keep looking through the mine. uh, uh, and, And we'll explain where that comes from in a minute. But I want you to think back in your life, especially your Jesus falling life, and ask this question, when did you stop If we're going to be encouraged to keep going, some of us need to go back and think of in different areas, when did we stop going? When did you stop following Jesus? Not like believing in him or praising him or getting uh, inspired by the things of him, but like actually when Jesus said, hey, uh, don't worry about anything. And you're like, "Ah, I'm probably going to worry about some stuff. I'm going to to hold you off right there, right? Right? Or what Jesus says, don't call anyone foolish. That's in the Bible, or else you'll be uh, in in, uh, whatever, you'll be close to the fires of hell. And it's like, well, I mean, but Jesus, you've been around some people, right? Like, you've seen some folks. You've been around this last year, correct? You've watched some of this? And we decide in these different areas, no, we're just going to do whatever we want, right? Jesus says, don't worry about all this stuff. Just trust in me, follow, seek first the kingdom. And it's like, yeah, how about instead of seeking the kingdom, why don't I just worry about all this stuff? And along the way, somewhere, we decided that we were going to stop actually following. We, we, we mentally and maybe spiritually, whatever that is, we, we decide that we're going to keep going with him. We're going to wake up tomorrow and trust him. But when did we stop actually doing something with the trust? When did you stop putting things to death? And when did it slow down and when did it come to a stop? At some point, we hit the brakes on following Jesus. We continue to praise him. But we neglect to pursue him. And here we're challenged by Paul, and I hope that we're challenged in the same way from God not to stop. In chapter 2, verse 12, he says this, Therefore, my dear friends, right? So we've even got the relationship context for everything that's coming. This isn't a guy beating down on people because we're bad. It's not the, uh, you know, the theatrical version of angry God who's pointing a finger at everything you've ever done wrong. Paul comes as someone and says, Hey, friends, right? You hear that as you have always obeyed, encouragement, not only when I've been here in my presence, but much more in my absence. He says, listen, I've seen that you keep pursuing. You may be beating yourself up because I'm not as perfect as I wish I was. I've not become everything I want to be, but don't forget that you've become something so far. God is still moving. I love that he's not asking them to obey his personal wishes, this isn't saying, oh no, I, I wanted you know, a lukewarm bottle of water, you know, like the writers of, of bands when they travel and stuff. I want all the M&Ms, no brown M&Ms though, I want the, all those picked out. This isn't Paul saying, I want this all to go my way. He says, you've obeyed, but what you've obeyed is the command to conduct yourself worthy of the gospel. And then he goes on and says this in verse 12, he says, continue, continue, don't stop, you hear it? Don't slow down, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it's God who works in you to will and to act according to fulfill his good purposes. Now, he doesn't say continue to work for your salvation. You can't do that, that's already been done. If That's what you think, you don't need Jesus, you could have slept in this morning. But you can't work for your salvation, Jesus did all of that, You, you can't do it on your own. Uh, It's not also about working on your salvation, uh, but I love when I was reading through some commentaries, uh, one of the things I found is this uh, really unique word for to work on or to work out uh, comes in the same uh, time frame in other parts of Greek-speaking life uh, to talk about mining, Uh, this idea that you found uh, a coal mine or you found a gold mine. And you started digging and you found some and so you stopped because you found a little bit instead of realizing how much more is actually in there. And in this context, what Paul is saying is, I don't know if Paul knows he's using a mining word, I don't know, but it's used in that same way. In the same way we're being asked to keep digging into the salvation you've been given. Don't stop. Uh, you've not gotten everything out of it yet. You, you, you've stopped short. You, you've held up when God wants to keep going. You've pushed back when God wants to move forward, or some of us ran too far ahead when God was asking us to slow down. So think of it this way, in the same way of saying don't stop digging, there's so much more gold in there. It's not all out. This isn't all there is. Uh, Paul says keep working. Your salvation has so much more in there than what you're currently getting out. And this idea of salvation here becomes the true north. It's what we're evaluating everything to. Uh, The idea of Avoid living your life away from God because you've been saved by him for so much more. Keep mining out the salvation because you've, you're never going to get everything out of there is what you can. And that's God's work of constantly becoming. That you're going to continue to grow and you're going to continue to move. Early on in my faith, it was working on my mouth. I came to know Jesus late in my teens. So there were some four-letter words that have developed in my regular vernacular. And before I worried about all this other stuff, I had a mentor that just said, hey, we're going to worry about this right now. I thought there was much more important things. But as that started working on that area, then I had to start working on other areas. And there was identity issues and things about not being good enough. And then there were fears and doubts of what if I can't and a continual process of God becoming. Because once you start diving in, you're not done yet. You have to keep going because there's so much more in there to work out in our salvation. Your life isn't built around success, personal meaning, or fulfillment, but a life graciously saved by Jesus into a new life of powerful calling. Uh, Keep mining out what's in that salvation. There's more in there than what you're getting out of it. And I love this, that Paul reminds us to do it with fear and trembling, which is a really weird word. I I took a class in college uh, about the philosopher Sorn Kierkegaard. Probably the most challenging class I ever ever took. And one of his books, a Danish philosopher, theologian, philosopher, is called Fear and Trembling. It's this idea of God called me to have the kind of faith, and he uses Abraham and Isaac as an example, where I have to go kill one of my kids. I don't think I'm going to be able to do it. And it's this real wrestling with, man, am I going to be able to? I don't think that's the context here. I think of it more like this, when the angels show up in Scripture... Right? You remember Peanuts, when Linus starts giving the Luke account, and they were sore afraid? When the heavenly shows up, there's a trembling that happens, because we realize, much like you're on the mountain peak, or the ocean, or standing in a concentration camp, or holding a baby, that it's so much bigger than what we are. At salvation, the Holy Spirit moves into your life, and that should constantly bring fear and trembling because the life you are living into is so much bigger than what you're capable of, which is why you can't do it on your own, which is why we are formed in churches, which is why we need to continue step by step to pursue and follow Jesus as we go because it's God who works in you to will and to act. To will and to act so he can fulfill his good purposes. Uh, What it is, is don't just agree with the theology or idea that God is good. You actually have to do the will. It's not about believing or thinking or assuming or agreeing with. It's about doing the thing that you agree with. If you say you have faith, well, where do you trust him? Where are you currently struggling? What fears do you currently have? Okay, God, how do I step out in that? How do I trust you in these areas? Some of us can pass the written test, but we look foolish once we get behind the wheel. But we know the answers. You remember when uh, the expert in the law asked Jesus, what do I have to do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus kind of flipped and says, well, you're the expert of the law. What do you think it is? And he gives the right answer, and Jesus says, great. Now what? Go and do that. You've passed the written test. Now go actually live it out. Why? Because that's the hard part. And Paul's reminding the church here, keep working it out, keep mining it out, keep doing the right things. We can talk a good game, but think about it this way. If a biographer uh, at the end of your life did some serious journalistic research into who you are, would they find some holes in what you wanted versus what you actually did, versus what you believed and what you actually became? challenge here is to keep digging a new life made possible by your salvation and Jesus has so much more and the charge here is to keep working out in that salvation keep digging out what's in there because there's so much more in there and don't stop short of being able to see everything that God has and the second thing I want us to look at as we go into here and maybe this is the most challenging for all of us is this get your attitude out of the way of your calling We'll let that sit for a minute. It's been sitting with me for a week, so at least let it sit for two minutes. Get your attitude out of the way of your calling. Who God is calling you towards, what you are becoming, sometimes it's our attitude that gets in the way. Well, because I don't want to. Because I think, right? As though that means anything. Well, I'm feeling, okay? And sometimes we'll let those feelings lead who we are rather than let Jesus lead who we are through those feelings. And Chapter 2, verse 14. He says this Do everything without grumbling or arguing. That's a verse in the Bible. Uh, what's crazy, though, is it's a tricky word in its original language. If you dig into it, it literally means this To do everything without grumbling or arguing. It means what it means. Paul didn't mistake what he was trying to say. Stop grumbling and arguing, do everything that you're doing without grumbling and arguing and I love this as we'll see people that we think are doing it wrong and we'll justify how right we are versus how wrong they are by grumbling and arguing about how wrong they are and we think we're right Paul says do everything without grumbling and arguing over the last couple years if we've not noticed we've gotten really good at grumbling and arguing Because in some ways, I love in a Time article somewhere in the early 2000s was written this article on the title of being a slacktivist. Which means you talk a good game, but you actually do nothing to help. And what ends up happening is we become grumbling and complaining people when we do nothing but think that by talking we're doing something. We grumble and complain and in that process we feel like we're changing something or at least like letting out the pressure and though that's happening. And Paul keeps going, Uh, pay attention, this isn't a suggestion but it's a command. Not as a way to create a positive organizational culture but instead because you've been radically saved from sin and from judgment and you're living in resurrection. What do you have to grumble and complain about? Your eternity was headed in one direction and because of Jesus, if we believe the gospel, you've been radically saved into an eternity you don't deserve because God loves you. What do we have to grumble and complain about? And Paul even gives us the result or the reason. He says this in verse 15, so that you may become blameless and pure, children of God and without fault, in a warped and crooked generation. Uh, One of my favorite challenges I've been given, and I think I read it in a book, I forgot the source now because it's kind of just been in my brain, has been it's going to be really hard to change the world by being just like it. And you read this verse, and Paul says, listen, if you're going to be different than a warped and crooked generation, you need to stop complaining and grumbling. Because when you stop complaining and grumbling... Then you start to see, uh, become blameless and pure, right? Blameless meaning not guilty or faultless or free. You become pure, this idea that you are innocent, completely free from defect. That you live and carry your life in a way to where you know what Jesus has done, you know the freedom that gives, and you walk in that freedom knowing who you are and what you have to offer. You know the influence you have of someone that doesn't carry guilt and shame all over you all the time because when you walk free, you see the world different. He reminds us that we'll become children of God or fully live into that identity, not distant from him but belonging to him, and that we'll live holy. This idea of being set apart different from, without fault in a generation where following Jesus will cause you to stand out. Again, it's going to be hard to change the world by being just like it. But it's going to be easy to identify with the kingdom of God so long as we keep pursuing it and living into it. Some of you are letting your attitude get in the way of who you are becoming. Paul identifies and points out in us the cynical Critiquing, always negative, always finding faults, always discontent attitude that's holding you back from you becoming everything God's called you to be. It's not that the opportunity hasn't opened or that the door hasn't swung open or that life has just pitted you in a bad spot. Sometimes the thing that's holding us back is the negative attitude we carry because the world's not fair. Paul's sitting in jail. The world's not fair because he can't stop talking about Jesus. The world's not fair. Writing to a church that's being persecuted because they're following him. The world's not fair. And says, stop grumbling and complaining. Because when you do, you'll become someone who is blameless and pure, children of God, uh, separate from the world that's, uh, that, that's fallen. He says, then, then, when you become that then, or in the process of becoming that then, you will shine like stars Shine among them like stars in the sky, as you firm as you hold firmly to the word of life. What will cause you to stand out in this season of history? What will cause you to stand out amongst the people around us? Is if we embrace and mine out the fullness of our salvation, to not stop digging, to keep pressing. But what stood out? Or sorry, and stop grumbling and complaining. Uh, When I was, I did student ministry before, I was at a church in Colorado, because when you grow up in central Illinois and you go to school in central Illinois, nothing sounds better than something that's not central Illinois. So I looked for that and I found it. And we took our junior high kids on this uh, trip up to uh, a dude ranch in Wyoming. And as we were out there, to this day, it was one of the most incredible things. All the kids had gone to bed and, uh, you know, the adults basically just... Pretend like they're not adults once the kids go to bed. So that's what we did. And we found our way to the top of this mountain in Wyoming. Elevation's huge. It's kind of flat. And it was the brightest I've ever seen stars before in my life. Have you ever had one of those nighttime experiences? You're going to have to leave the neighborhood if you want that. Right? We, that's one of the things when we're downstate visiting family now. Like it's, you go outside and it's like, there's actually stars up there. But there's something when you see a night sky that's completely clear where it's really dark, and you can see thousands of stars. And in those moments, what you don't notice is the darkness. You don't notice how black, because that's the, the dominant color in the sky, is the darkness. What you notice are the thousands of beautiful, unbelievably created little lights that light up the sky. And Paul's reminding the church that we're the same thing. What the people around us aren't going to notice is how dark the world around us is, but how light the people of God are that live around and among us. That if we live out this calling, if we keep pressing in, that blamelessness, that pureness, that child of Godness, the holiness in us will make us stand out so people stop paying and grumbling and arguing about all the darkness that's going on because they'll see these lights. It's that Fred Rogers, Mr. Rogers thing of if you look where anything bad's happening, you'll find people that are helping And a lot of times we're just looking at the bad stuff that's happening rather than looking at the people that are making a difference. And Paul says, don't forget church. In the midst of hard times, you're still the people God's called to make a difference for the kingdom. What Paul is saying here is keep getting everything out of your salvation as possible. Stop giving your attitude and your attention to the dumb stuff. That's my translation. And become one of the people who light up the darkness simply because you didn't let your attitude get in the way of your calling. And then this last one is this, is that the struggle is worth it because he's worthy of it. The struggle's worth it because he's worthy of it. Uh, Listen, life is a struggle. Jesus reminds us life's going to be a struggle. Uh, Whether you think you have more or less struggles than someone else, we're all struggling. Uh, Even if you go all the way back, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, Jacob is the one who wrestles with God and gets the new name Israel, which means wrestles with God. The people of God's name in the Old Testament is built around the fact that we struggle, even with God. This struggling is part of who we are and what we do, Uh, the struggle of dealing with the consequences of our own selfish decisions. You've got some of those, I'm sure. The struggle of living in a fallen world where it may not have been something you've done, but something that's been done to you. The struggle of realizing that none of this is how it's supposed to be. And you know those moments when you're looking at it. I've got friends who have kids in the hospital that are struggling and fighting, and you look at it, it's like this is not how it's supposed to be. You can look at uh, the U.S. climate and whatever aspect you want to tear apart and you know, whatever humanity you want to dig into. There's struggle. Why? Because we're humans and we struggle. And in that struggle, Paul's case here is the struggle. In Paul's case, it's this. It's the struggle of being faithfully obedient to God in a world that does not honor him. Paul's not in jail because he did the wrong stuff. Paul's in jail because he did the right stuff. The church isn't being persecuted because they're doing the wrong things. They're being persecuted because they're doing the right things for a God who the world doesn't honor. And here we're reminded that the struggle of following Jesus is worth it because God is worthy of it. He says this in chapter 2 verse 16. He says, if we keep living out and we're those uh, uh, lights that shine in the darkness, then I will be able to boast on the day of Christ that I did not run or I did not labor in vain. The context here is to keep mining out your salvation. To stop grumbling and complaining so you live like stars in a generation that's warped and crooked. And if you do that, if you do that, there are people who have poured into your life you will become someone who's pouring into someone else's life that on that final day when Jesus shows up and returns that all of the suffering and work and effort and frustration believe it or not we are for frustrating people to try to shepherd i know that because i've had people who used to shepherd me that have called and been like didn't think you'd end up here did not see you doing this because i was a struggle Thank you. We've all been that person, right? There are people who have been in your life who have prayed over you, who have cried over you, who have attest and pleaded God for you. And in the same way, Paul's telling the church, just keep following him. Just keep following, keep getting out of your salvation, everything that's in there. And when you do that, I'm going to be able to boast and brag and cheer and celebrate the fact that none of that was in vain. Because you got it. You kept digging and you got it. You kept pursuing and you found it. You kept moving and it was there. There. And he says this, he says uh, in verse 17, but even if I'm being poured out like a drink offering on the sacrifice and service coming from your faith, he gives this idea that you're giving sacrifice, so you're laying your sacrifice up there and my sacrifice is being poured on top of yours. In some way, we're all working together to offer God something that's beautiful. He says, I'm glad and I rejoice with all of you. So you too should be glad and rejoice with me. Our lives our one sacrifice together to go unto God as worship. Uh, What you're struggling with and what I'm struggling with, and even if we've never met until today because we're part of the church, global church, and even this New Life Church family that's in 20-plus locations all over Chicagoland, because we're struggling together and we're pushing together and we're plowing forward together, we want to see more light places show up in the darkness. And that word, worship, worship, comes from an old English word that literally means uh, it's the worth ship it's that it's worthy or it's worth it and when we worship all we do is we praise God because he's worthy of our worship we worship a lot of things I grew up a Bears fan when they're doing well unfortunately I can give a little worth ship because I've always believed in him and here we are and I can celebrate it and I can be ashamed at the end of the week how much I've talked about my favorite sports teams I can eat if we've ever hung out with each other. The minute I eat at a restaurant that I deem as one of the greatest things I've ever had, you're going to hear about it, and I'm going to take you there. You'll probably have to pay for it, but I'm going to take you there. And we're going to eat there together. Why? Because I can't stop talking about it because it was so good that it's worth it. And What Paul's reminding the church here is the struggle you're giving is worth, is worth the gladness and rejoicing that needs to come out of it. It's why uh, uh, throughout church history it's been said and quoted uh, that the blood of the martyrs is the start of the church. Uh, That when it's been the hardest and roughest to the point of where the church has been killed because they follow Jesus, it's when their blood hits the ground that the movement of God starts bubbling up around it because there's something about the joy of following Jesus when life is a struggle. When Isaiah uh, reminds the church to come uh, that that here's how you're going to know Jesus, he says, in a darkness, you're going to see a great light. And that's how you'll know. And it's the same thing in the world we live in. It's not whether you're right and they're wrong. It's not about you being better and they're worse. It's about the fact that we've seen Jesus, we know truth, we're pursuing him, we love him, and we want to live the way he lived around the people around us. So many people have given so much so that you could have what you have spiritually. Over the last 2,000 years since Jesus ascended, think about the generations of people who have passed on the gospel. There's been a lot of people that have claimed to be Jesus, or claimed to be a deity, or claimed to be from the heavens or from God, and people stopped talking about him. You look around now, I I haven't seen, at least statistically, where people have stopped talking about him. Some of it just Stop talking about them around other people. But we keep sharing. People courageously sharing Christ so that you could have it. Faithful people in this church's history that have gave time and money and prayer so that there would be a place to meet. I'm guessing none of you uh, uh, generations ago paid for this structure, correct? But when you moved into the neighborhood, there was a place for you. Because people, and I love even this, in Lincoln Park, this physical structure's history, as told by the great historian, philosopher, theologian, Bobby Moss. Because it was people who could have sold the building and made tons of money. This could be condos that look really cool on a street corner. But there was a group of like 11 people that trusted and asked and begged and pleaded with God, we want to keep seeing your move happen here. There's people that gave so that you could be here, so that you could experience Christ here, so you could have community here, so you could help other people find the same stuff here. Don't let their running and labor be in vain. There are pastors you've had and that you currently have. There are shepherds and elders and leaders. The goal or the the call of Paul, make the most out of their work. And not only that, think about it this way, live your life in a way so that other people's faithfulness to God is the fruit of your own kingdom's work in their life. So that at some point, they'll be able to look at you in the same way I get to look at other people who have mentored me and shaped me and had patience with me. And I get to look at them and think, I wouldn't be here if it wasn't for you. I don't want that work and labor to be in vain. You will have people in your life that look up to you as when things are going wrong, you're the person they call to say, hey, could you come over? Hey, would you come pray with me? But if we stop short and we stop mining out and working out that salvation, we're holding ourselves back from being that light in dark places to other people so that they can start their own pursuit of Christ with us together, who lead others to Christ, who lead others to Christ. Here is the charge. Stop complaining and start rejoicing. Paul in prison in the Philippian church enduring persecution can rejoice enduring imprisonment, government oppression and persecution and we can amidst uh, viruses and anxieties and fear. Why? Because nothing in the world or this life has the last word. This is all going to end. At some point, this building will not exist. Praise God it's here today. Right? At some point, right? Our lives will go on. Jesus says, it's like grass. It's here today, and it's gone tomorrow. And the charge that we have, and the thing that comes up is, we don't get to have the last word, but Jesus does. Jesus will return, He will be Lord of all, and we will be his, and all the work and effort will be worth it because it was all for the King of kings, and it was all for the Lord of lords. Who are you currently, or what are you currently giving your life to, and is it big enough for the effort you're putting in? It might be a job, or or it might be a 401k, it might be a reputation, it might be the sensation of feeling like you did something that mattered, but once you accomplish it, will that have been big enough? And what Jesus uh, reminds us of, what Paul brings us back to is the simple reminder of if you just keep digging into your salvation, if you keep figuring out what else is in there, if you keep following Jesus further and further and more and more, you won't stop because you'll realize eternity is a really long time. And if you keep pursuing him, you'll find your way there. Grumbling and complaining turn you into someone that has separated yourself from your calling. Instead, being glad rejoicing unites you with the work of god in you and through you and with others in the church so here we are standing before jesus with our salvation in him our new life sounds like a trendy name you should name a church after it's big and it's intimidating and it almost seems impossible to look at the life of jesus Uh, People from other religions, leaders, guys like Gandhi have looked and said, I like your Jesus, I just have questions about all the people. But I always love the words of Rich Mullins where he says, listen, I've had people say before uh, that the church is full of hypocrites. And he says, yeah, absolutely, and we've got room for another one too. Because of grace, we don't have it all together, and we're all trying to figure it out, and none of us are perfect, but what Paul says is keep digging Keep digging, keep digging, keep digging. It's big and it's audacious and you may not reach the end but you're not going to get everything out of it that what God has put into it. Paul's reminder for us and I hope we hear it is to rather than stop when it gets tough is to keep working out your way forward. To dig in and to get as much as what God has put into it and to live your life. To live your life worthy of the gospel let's stand and pray lord jesus uh this morning my prayer uh over this congregation this body this um uh, this family of believers lord is uh is the same thing that i Paul encouraged the church then that I've been encouraged with as well and that I uh, pray can be an encouragement here. Uh, God is the reminder that you have so much more than what we'll ever know. Uh, That you're so much better than what we'll ever find. Uh, That we won't reach an end where we see uh, that we've, we've figured you out. And God, in the same way, that shouldn't cause us to stop. It should cause us to keep pressing in and figuring it out, to keep learning and growing and pursuing that our feet wouldn't stop just because our imagination did. That we can see how big you are. We can see what you could possibly do with a life like ours. We can see what you want to do with our giftedness and our personality and our position and place in life and what you've uh, birthed into us and what you're becoming with us. Father, my prayer for us, my prayer for this church in Lincoln Park, Lord, is that uh, like stars in a dark sky, that, that there would be these shining spots, us, the people as individuals collectively gathered together, that give a world that could stare up and see all the darkness, that we would give them reasons to stand in awe and wonder and worship before you when they see people whose faithful obedience has turned into a chance to glorify a God because in the bigness of it, where we could have stopped, we kept going. And when we followed Jesus, we saw how good he was, how gracious he was, how merciful he was, how loving he was, how he didn't grumble or complain, but he found places of rejoicing and obedience. So Lord, I pray over us that you would give the same charge, that we would feel the same encouragement, that we would be pressed into the same areas to get all of this as what you've put in. In Jesus' name.